Well, having sang praises to our God, can I invite you now to turn with me to his word. We'll be reading this morning from John chapter 9. In our sermon this morning, we'll be focusing on verses 35 to 41. But to help us to to properly understand the the context of this passage, we'll be reading from verse 1 all the way through to verse 41 of John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 1. This is the word of God. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. 
One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, let's turn to John chapter 9. And uh, we're going to be spending the rest of our time together in in John chapter 9. And um, really what we're thinking about today is the the shepherd who leads his sheep home. The shepherd who leads his sheep home. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's a two-part series. We started it last week. Slightly different theme. But yes, we're going to come back to that. Um, We're going to be thinking about that as well. But I want you to look for the shepherd who leads his sheep home. Let me pray and ask God to help us as we do that together. Lord, we are all led by someone. We all have shepherds who lead us, and yet it's vital that we are led by the good shepherd, the one true shepherd. And so, Lord, we pray to you today that you would Give us eyes to see that we might indeed know that we are being led all the way home by the Good Shepherd. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week, you'll know that we were uh, in the first part of this investigative drama series, uh, a two-part series. And the scene of the investigation had kind of been cordoned off. We'd we'd marked that out. The the police tape had, had went up around it. And now the detectives, in this case the Pharisees, had been examining the evidence. They had been interrogating the witnesses, and they had been seeking to come to make a judgment. The case was based on the story of a blind beggar who claimed 
to have been healed. He had been blind from birth, but his testimony was that Jesus had come along and Jesus had opened his eyes and now he could see. His neighbors testified. Some of them were sure that it was indeed the formerly blind man. And some of them weren't just so sure. Some people thought it was his doppelganger, his double. They were like, that's not quite the same man. It looks just like him. But the man himself, he was adamant, wasn't he? And he just kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. I am the man. Maybe some of you have said that. You know, I am the man. Well, he, he was sure. And so the case was brought to the Pharisees. And um, the ruling is really important. And the ruling is really important because if it was proved that this man really was the blind man, who used to beg in the street, it would show that this miracle, this sign, was indeed compelling evidence that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that Jesus really was the Son of God, the light of the world, who could lead people out of darkness and into light, who could lead people to know God. And at this stage, different witnesses have been called to testify, haven't they? And given that the, the, the neighbors of the man had a divided opinion on his true identity, what happened? Well, they brought forward his, his parents, because surely the parents would know if this really was the man. Is this your son, who you say was blind? They were asked. And they say, yeah, this is our son. Although for fear of the religious leaders, they refused to say who it was that healed him. And then the man who was once blind himself testifies, giving a report on what took place, saying how he believed that Jesus was the one who had opened his eyes, and that it did indeed point to the fact that he was from God. But you see, the problem was, as the religious leaders heard this, this is not what they wanted to hear. They did not want to hear Jesus was the Son of God. And so after barraging the man with some abuse, they, they cast him out. And that's kind of where we left the first part of the drama series, isn't it? This was not what the religious leaders wanted to hear. It seems that despite all of the evidence that they heard, they already had their mind made up. They already had their mind made up, and the judgment was already made. And so we were just left awaiting the public verdict and the sentencing which would go with it. And yet, with any good drama, as we said last week, there's always twists, isn't there? There's always twists, even right up until the end. And today, what we'll see is a dramatic twist. The storyline pivots. Maybe it's one that you've already spotted. Maybe you haven't seen it coming. The Pharisees certainly didn't see it coming. And yet... It's vital that once we see it, that once we see it, we must act accordingly. Let's have a look at these verses. Because firstly, what we see is the good shepherd seeks out his lost sheep. Do you spot that? Remember how the, the verse before ends? They cast him out. We see that in verse 34. They cast him out. That's where we finished up. And then verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The religious leaders, they have cast him out. The formerly blind man has been cast out. Presumably they're talking about the synagogue here, but that's going to have knock-on uh, ramifications for this man in this Jewish society. 
Remember that it was the agreement of the Pharisees. They said that whoever would dare confess Jesus as the Christ, well, they would be cast out. And so that was the very thing that stopped this man's parents um, from, from telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth whenever they were giving evidence. But for the man who could see, he wasn't deterred. He said, Jesus is the one who opened my eyes. Jesus is the one. And because he confessed Christ, he was left on the outside. Now think about how hard this must have been for this Jewish man. No longer was he welcome to come and to worship in the synagogue. It must have been a a pretty horrific experience. He was indeed suffering for the sake of Christ, as we've been thinking about in Philippians in the evening services. How lonely a place it must have been. Not even his parents were willing to stand alongside him. Perhaps for some of you, that's an experience that you know. And yet, look at what happens, because this man was not left there. For the good shepherd came to find his lost sheep. It's as if John is setting us up for what comes in chapter 10. You might be able to look ahead and see. It's all about the shepherd in chapter 10. And Jesus being the good shepherd. And although Jesus had not been there when the Pharisees were collecting their evidence and carrying out these investigations. He has heard the outcome, and he has heard this man has been cast out. And although cast out by the Pharisees, he has not been forgotten by Jesus. That's really important. He has not been forgotten by Jesus. Because here Jesus, again, is the one who takes the initiative. He seeks him out. He finds him. And that's really a mark of Jesus' ministry, isn't it? Didn't he come to seek and to save those who were lost? And here we see him again in action, once again. Because what I think we see here is a sheep who is perhaps still lost, still lost in some sense, and Jesus finishes what he has started and brings him safely home. So let's have a look at how he goes about doing that. Jesus asks him a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he responds, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Remember, this is the first time that this man actually sees Jesus in the flesh. The last time he speaks to Jesus, he was blind, remember? And then he was sent off to go and to to wash in the pool. Now, the wording of Jesus' question is maybe strange. And we we think, why, why does he use this term, Son of Man, here? Why does he not use the term son of God? That's a, that's a term that we're really familiar with in John's gospel, isn't it? It's the term that we kind of know very much from that purpose statement at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 20. Listen to these words. Now, Jesus did many other miraculous, many other uh, signs in the presence of the disciples, signs, miraculous signs, that's talking about miracles, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So why does he not use that phrase here? Why does he use the other? Son of man. Well, it's not the first time that we've come across that in John's gospel. It's not the first time that Jesus is recorded uh, using that either. Uh, Look back at John chapter 5, verse 27. You'll spot it there. Listen to what Jesus says at this point. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. You see, the, the phrase son of man is picked up from Daniel chapter 7. When the son of man is given everlasting power over an everlasting kingdom. 
And because he's the, the ruler of this kingdom, he is the one who has authority to execute judgment. And that's really key. He has authority to execute judgment. And Jesus is the Son of Man. And here is where we begin to spot the, the twist in the plot. It's somewhat veiled at this point. Perhaps some of you already spotted the twist. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, still can't quite see it at this point. Hopefully it'll become clearer later. And in fact, it seems that the man who Jesus is speaking to doesn't really fully grasp what it is that Jesus is saying as he asks the question. Although he sees himself as a disciple of Jesus, I wonder, does he even realize that this is actually Jesus whom he's speaking to? Remember, he has not spotted Jesus with his eyes up until this point. But listen to his response. He says, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus makes it really clear, doesn't he? Jesus makes it really clear, the Son of Man, that is me. That's me, the one who is speaking to you. That's, that's who the Son of Man is. It's me. He's the King of the forever kingdom. He really is the Son of God. He really is the light of the world. He's not just a prophet. He is the prophet. He is the King. And the formerly blind man, he has been brought to the point where he sees clearly. It's like the images we looked at earlier, isn't it, boys and girls? You can see clearer and clearer. Well, now he sees really clear. He sees really clear who Jesus actually is. And what's his response? He says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worships Jesus. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, has led this little lost sheep safely home. And here he is receiving and believing Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. And now he enjoys this life in his name. And it's a picture of what disciple making often looks like. I think that's what it is. It's a picture of what disciple making often looks like. It's often a, a slow and gradual process where, where knowledge of Jesus and ability to see increases and increases and increases. Because what we see here in this man's story is one of increasing sight, isn't it? One of increasing sight. More and more he sees who Jesus is. He seems to understand who he is. That's an increasing sight that we see. Yes, as we look back, we see his humble obedience back in verse 7 when he responds by going to the pool and washing. We see his recognition that Jesus must be from God that he must be a prophet. We see that in verse 17. We see him increase in boldness, don't we? We see him increase in boldness in his defense of Jesus as his story continues. Remember, we've seen that as he pushed back against the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And finally, we see in the, in the question that Jesus asks him, it seems to bring him to this point of, of clarity, a point of clarity in his mind as to who Jesus really is. And in response to this moment of clarity, what does he do? Well, he believes, doesn't he? He says, this is the Son of Man. I see it. I see it. And I believe. I believe. I think in, in how John writes a story, a story that's not a made-up story, but a real-life story as to what actually happened, a historical event, 
I think it's really helpful in showing us how many people come to faith. Because for many, it's not kind of that Damascus, uh, Damascus, Damascus, <laughs> that's very dramatic, Damascus Road experience. All of a sudden, there's a great light and immediate clarity. No, for many people, that's not their experience. For many, as they're exposed to the light, it's a gradually lighting up of the path. With more and more clarity, they, they see who Jesus is. And as he seeks them out and finds them, then he brings them home, doesn't he? That's what always happens. He brings them home. And perhaps it may well be that it's all a bit blurry. It's all a bit blurry with when things exactly clicked. Like the blind man, spiritually speaking, they can testify and say, well, one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. But when everything just happened, I'm just not entirely sure. And that's why a a date in your diary that you can quote and share in your testimony isn't really the most important thing. For many of you, I know if I was to ask you, when was the date and time that you became a Christian, you'd struggle, you'd struggle. And actually, that's okay. That's okay because maybe it was a story of increasing sight over time. The precise moment when you were justified, when you were adopted, you would say, I'm not entirely sure exactly when that was. But what I can say now is this, Lord, I believe, I believe, just like the man in the story. In fact, for many of our boys and girls here who have grown up within the church or are growing up within the church, that's our prayer, isn't it? That God in his grace might allow you to look back in your childhood and never really remember a day when you didn't also echo those words that said, Lord, I believe. Wouldn't that be a, a marvelous grace of God? A marvelous grace of God. If God was to open their eyes at such a young age that they never really remember a time before that. When those longer established patterns of walking in the dark are much harder to break. Wouldn't it be great if many of our boys and girls didn't have to seek to break those patterns because they never walked in that established pattern in the first place for long. But it's here in verse 39 where I think we see how the tables have turned in the investigation. Here is that big plot twist that we mentioned. Did you spot it? Verse 39. Listen to Jesus' words. This is the big twist. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Do you see how the tables have turned? Do you spot it? You see, as the investigation has been taking place, it's been the Pharisees who have been the ones who have been uh, seeking out the evidence. They're the ones who have been deliberating. They've been uh, listening to the, 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 the testimonies as they've came before them. And they're the ones who have come to the judgment. And we're, we're waiting, we're expecting them to deliver and say, this is the result of our investigation. And then this ple- crazy, crazy plot twist we find out that the Pharisees aren't actually the ones who sit in the seat of judgment after all. Who is the one who sits in the judgment seat? It's Jesus. We thought it was the Pharisees who would rule and make the judgment, but actually Jesus comes in and says, actually, that's my seat. I'm the one who sits in the judgment seat. He says, for as judgment, he came into the world. 
What a twist. There we were thinking the Pharisees were the ones who would make the ruling. And Jesus comes in just at the end and says, oh, sorry, that's my seat. I'm the one who makes the judgment. And he was turning the tables because Jesus was the one who would be making a judgment on them. He's the one who would judge. Some of you might have picked up on something that seems a little bit strange. You're thinking, hold on, he says, he's come to judge. Maybe you're thinking back to John 3, 17. Listen to what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So maybe you're thinking, that sounds like a, a contradiction. What do we do here? Has he come to judge or has he not come to judge? That's the question, isn't it? But I think in, in chapter 3, the emphasis is on showing that Jesus in his first coming into the world did not come primarily to be the judge, but rather to save. On his second coming, he will indeed come as the judge of the world. But the time for salvation at that point will be over. That will be it. Whereas I think what we see here in chapter 8 is Jesus is still really showing that he has come to save so that those who do not see may see. The time of salvation is still here. But what comes along with that is that those who see may become blind. Because when some see, when some are saved, ultimately some are left to face the judgment. Now verse 39 sounds like a bit of a, a riddle, doesn't it? So what is it that Jesus is saying? Well, he's saying that he has come to give spiritual sight, spiritual sight to those who are blind. Like the man who was physically blind here in this chapter, he had to recognize his blindness and humbly accept the words of Jesus as his only way to salvation. He put his trust in Jesus, even though at this point he could not see him physically. And that's what happens or needs to happen in a spiritual sense. For each of us, isn't our situation spiritually like that of the blind man? Because we were born in sin. We were born in sin. By very nature, we are sinful. And the only way that we can be saved from our sin is if Jesus seeks us out and saves us. That is our only hope. We need Jesus to save us from our sin. We must hear his word and believe that his words are the words of life. Although we do not see his face physically, we hear his words by the Spirit of God. And by faith, we believe them to be true. And then we act upon them. So as our eyes are opened, we grow. We grow in knowledge. We grow in understanding of who Jesus is. We believe in him. And we grow in our confidence. You see, what happened to this blind man in the physical sense is a picture of what happens to every believer in the spiritual sense. Their spiritual eyes must be opened so that they can see. And for many of you, you'll be able to testify to what it was like when you walked around in darkness. You'll be able to remember those days and say, yeah, I know what that was like, walking around in darkness. And for those who came to faith as, as little children, maybe you can't quite remember what it was like before that. But spiritually speaking, you know that that was your reality. Jesus came. Jesus came that those who do not see may see. But the opposite is also true, that those who see 
may become blind. You see, for those who didn't think that they were blind, for those who thought that they had no need of Jesus, they would not receive the light that they needed. And so they were left in spiritual darkness. You see, if you don't think that you're in darkness, well, then you have no need of a light. If you realize you're in darkness, well, then you cling tightly to the light, don't you? But if you think you have no need, well, then the light seems like it's pointless. Remember what happens when the light shines? Well, some people see and they are led in the way, but for others, the light dazzles them and they close their eyes tighter and tighter because they hate the light they do not want to see. And for the unbeliever, that's what's happening, isn't it? Well, Jesus talks to the formerly blind man. Some of the Pharisees, they overhear him. They overhear him and what he's saying, and they respond, and they say, what? Are we also blind? You see, the words of Jesus were not lost on these Pharisees as they listen in. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And yet it seems as they ask the question, you can almost imagine the disgust with which they say it. What? Us? You think that we, the religious leaders, are the ones in the dark? You think that we're blind? I mean, surely if anyone was to recognize the light, that would be us, right? But look at Jesus' response. He says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, I think what's going on here is that the problem wasn't so much that the Pharisees didn't see their sin, but it was that they did not see their need of Jesus to be their savior. They thought that they could make it on their own. They thought that they could work their way to God. It's kind of a, an investigative thriller, isn't it? And the con- conclusion blindsides many of the viewers who are watching on at this point. They're not expecting it. But once you've seen it, once you've seen it, you have to do something about it, don't you? You have to look at your own heart and, and start to ask some questions. So let's do that this morning. First question is, do you see that Jesus really is who he claims to be? He really did this miracle. He really did restore his sight. Jesus really is the Son of God. Do you see that he is the great creator? He is the one who can bring life from dust. Do you see your own sin this morning? Do you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a savior? And that no matter how hard you try, you cannot possibly save yourself. Do you see that? Do you see that without Jesus, you're sitting in spiritual blindness? And do you see that one day Jesus really is coming back as the judge? Coming back as a judge. And if you have not put your trust in Jesus, well, then you're going to be found guilty. Because you, like the Pharisees, thought that there was another way to find forgiveness, that there was another way that you would be right with God, that there was another way that you might have your sins forgiven. Perhaps you're here this morning, and like the Pharisee, you have fooled yourself into thinking that you are the one who sits in the judgment seat that you're the one who sits in the judgment seats, not Jesus. I want you to see this morning, that is not the case. Jesus is the one 
who sits in the judgment seats. I want you to see this morning that Jesus really is who he says he is, and that one day he really will come back again. And if that's the case, if you spot that, if you recognize that up until now you've been, I don't know, thinking that you were the judge, not realizing that Jesus is going to come back and that he really will judge the living and the dead, cry out to him and ask that he might open your eyes and give you sight so that you might see who he really is and then respond in belief and receiving him as your Lord and Savior. You see, chapter 9 is really a worked example of what happens when the light shines. For some people, it brings sight. By faith, they put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they, they see a whole new vision, a whole new way of seeing. But for others, their hearts only continue to get harder. And so two things to say to the Christian here in terms of application. Firstly, making disciples can take a long time, can take a long time. Because for many, that journey is one of increasing sight, and it takes a long time for them to get to the point where they recognize who Jesus is, and they say, I believe, I believe. So be patient. Be patient as you walk alongside people. Be patient as people seem to go in small steps, seeing more and more with increasing clarity. Be patient as you walk alongside them. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Walk beside them. Show them the way to follow. But know that this is often how Jesus works. Often he works slowly. Message to parents. Maybe you see this. Maybe you've been walking with your children for a long time. Parents, one of your primary responsibilities is to seek to make disciples of Jesus in the home. Again, often it's a long long, slow journey, a long, slow journey. And so wait in the Lord, the good shepherd, and trust in his timing. Secondly, it's important that when it comes to evaluating ministry, that we, we recognize that you could be faithfully sharing the gospel, working hard at faithfully sharing the gospel, and, and rarely see good fruit you could be faithfully sharing the gospel, and actually for many people, their eyes might be getting tighter and tighter. But it does not mean that you're necessarily sharing the gospel wrong, okay? And maybe, maybe there's some people here, and you've been sharing the gospel for a long time in your family. You've been sharing the gospel with your neighbors. You've been sharing your gospel, the gospel in, in work or wherever it might be, and you have seen very little good fruit, very few people coming to, to believe and receive Jesus. And you may be starting to think, does, does this work? Am I going about it the right way? Well, be encouraged that just because the light shines doesn't necessarily mean that people will respond positively. Sometimes, sometimes they close their eyes even more tightly. Not all sheep are the good shepherd's sheep. And although we don't know who is yet to hear his voice and to come and to follow him, we do know this, we do know this. If they are lost sheep, who are part of his sheepfold, one day they will hear his voice and they will indeed come to follow. And so we can continue to share the gospel, praying that Jesus will continue to do the work that he does as he seeks out and saves lost sheep and brings them into the safety 
of his sheepfold. And we can continue to witness, can't we? We can continue to witness, praying that those who we witness to might be one of that number. Maybe a a message just to, to young disciples this morning. Maybe it's very much feeling like you've been cast out. Maybe you've come to faith pretty recently and it feels like at the minute, you're, you're facing the cast outness, maybe from family, maybe friends, maybe possibly even by former religious leaders. But because you're seeking to follow Jesus, they're, they're casting you out and they're saying, you're no longer part of our little, fo- our little flock, our little family. Well, can I encourage you to keep walking with Jesus? Keep walking with Jesus. In him, you will find all that you need. For he is the good shepherd and he knows how to take care of his sheep. I know that although you may have been cast out in that sense from your your family or your friends or people that maybe you used to hang out with, you are not alone. You're not alone because you have been welcomed in to the good shepherd's flock. You're now one of his sheep. For all of us who are believers this morning, for all of us, who trust in Jesus, we can echo David's words, can't we? The words that we used in our call to worship. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. If I have Jesus, well then it doesn't matter what else I have. If I have the Lord as my shepherd, I have all that I need. This shepherd laid on his life for his sheep. He laid down his life for his sheep and he will bring all of his sheep safely home. That's what the good shepherd does and so we can trust in him. Let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Father, we come to you and recognize that if we can say the Lord is my shepherd, well, then we do indeed have everything that we need. Lord, I pray for each one who's here. Might they be able to say, yes, indeed, I know this to be true. My eyes have been opened and I have seen Jesus for who he is. And I am believing and trusting in him. The Lord is my shepherd. And for those who know that to be true, but are struggling to be able to say the second part. Maybe they're feeling cast out. Maybe their friends, their family, their work colleagues. Maybe it feels like it's a lonely path. Might they say that they are now welcomed in to the flock that belongs to Jesus? And when Jesus is our shepherd, we can indeed say, I shall not want. Lord, give us increased belief, we pray. Give us clearer and clearer sight that we might see more and more and that we might grow to be mature believers. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.